So what are the right deliverables that contracts should be asking for in the agile development environment? Stick around and I'm going to break down what I consider to be the most important and least important ones. Good evening, Agile Acquisition Enthusiasts, and welcome back to the Underground Digital Tiki Bar. It's Friday night, and that means it's time for another episode of Agile Acquisitions and Alcohol. So cheers. All right, on tonight's episode, we're going to talk about CDRLs, C-D-R-L-S, Contract Deliverable Requirements Lists. What are they? What should be in them? And what shouldn't be? So recently, I was asked to review a contract deliverable list and make a decision about which ones were good to keep and which ones should we get rid of and replace potentially with other requirements. And, uh, you know, after about five minutes of scrolling through three to five pages of requirements, uh, my eyes started to glaze over and my answer was kind of a knee-jerk one of just get rid of them all. Uh, and this is really important. This is sort of this main concept that I'm always telling folks when they want to change you know, stop trying to take the old thing and make it better. Just clear the slate and create the process the way you would create it, knowing everything that you know now. When you take legacy information, legacy systems, legacy policies, legacy processes, and try to modernize them, you're going to constantly be butting up against a discussion and an argument over the value of something that was once there. But when you start with a clean slate and just simply look at the process, what you're trying to accomplish and how best to meet those goals, it's a lot easier to really come up with efficient and neat requirements, whether that's for requirements for deliverable lists or requirements for how something is to be produced, or whether it's actually just a process that you're supposed to follow. So, going back to the CEDRLs list, if you look at a traditional government contracting CEDRLs list, uh, this is part of the contract. These are the things that will be required of the vendor to deliver, and it usually has various times. So you'll see like a kickoff meeting within the first 30 days, uh, typically monthly program review. You'll see status reviews. You'll see um, a lot of the earned value management documentation, uh, so cost fund status report, uh, CPRs, uh, so on and so forth. There's a lot of them. Um, and, and then you'll also see things like government furnished equipment lists, uh, security lists, personnel lists. And so I just thought, you know, let's, let's talk about, there are some that have value and that should absolutely be maintained. And then, uh, for the most part, we should just sort of ditch them all. Uh, let's kind of go back to why did these cedrals get, get created? Well, like most thing in most things in the federal government, a thing gets created because someone either messed up or forgot to do something or didn't do something right. And nobody could hold the right person accountable. So they created a requirement or a policy or a deliverable uh, that would hold individuals accountable to make sure that you know the government was not wasting the taxpayers' funds, which is excellent, and we should always be keeping that in mind. Hey, now imagine this uh, problem set in the uh, environment of traditional waterfall development, uh, keeping in mind that we have this, we're back on this five-year, five or 10-year deliverable timeline uh, typically a cost reimbursable contract where funds are being provided incrementally based on actual costs incurred and then some sort of negotiated fee process. And all of the actual deliverables, the tangible deliverables of the product that's being developed are, are at the end of the process. So at the end of the five years or at the end of the 10 years. And so what happens is the government is you know, pumping money into this contract uh, to the magnitudes of tens of millions of dollars in many cases with getting very little even evidence that the money is producing 
anything that would result in the finished product that would be acceptable, uh, even assuming technology didn't change and the end product would have been acceptable anyway. But I digress, another video, another time. Uh, and, and so to manage that risk, what the government created was this earned value management system where essentially the contractor upfront says, this is how long I think it will take me. These, these are the resources I believe it will take me to meet this, this schedule as discussed. And here's where we'll be for testing and demonstrations and so on and so forth. And earned value management essentially takes that process and creates metrics to see, you know, are they burning the, the funding at the rate at which they anticipate it? Are they reaching the stop gates at the, the pace at which they intended to? And so it has this very clear um, line as to, you know, whether, you know, cost performance and schedule are staying on track or whether they're, you know, moving off in different directions. So in the hopes that you can take corrective action. There's all sorts of gamesmanship that can be played here. I'm not going to discuss that in this video, but I will definitely make one on that at another time because it's something that I, I'm very passionate about. But the point being is that's earned valued management as an example of many of the deliverables that you'll find on a Cedral list and where it originated from. Um, so, as a, so as you look now at a, a paradigm where we're doing iterative development and software is being delivered you know, on a time boxed uh, frequency, repeatable frequency of say every two weeks or to every four weeks, you know, suddenly the need to see a document that says where the contractor is as related to where they thought they would be when they first reviewed the requirements becomes far less significant than seeing what they've actually delivered in the two-week period and everything they delivered in every two-week period prior to that. So at three months, you've had X number of, of iterations delivered depending on, on the frequency. And you can look very clearly and say, we have a functional product or we don't. The functional product has met um, you know, a certain percentage of the user needs. We feel comfortable with that. We want to continue to invest funds or we don't feel comfortable with that and we want to pull back funds or you know, discontinue to further development, at least with this vendor or at least at this time. Uh -huh. So for, by that very understanding, we can say that you know, all of the seed rules associated with performance of the vendor, funding expenditures, and execution could all that exist it currently can be removed and they should be replaced with different deliverables. Deliverables like the functional product, um, the constant open repository where the code and the executables are available to the government at any time and potentially, you know, even to a lar larger audience uh, if you were using like an open source process or just developing in the open so you could receive benefits from uh, other individuals that might be looking in and be able to provide feedback. Um, but the, the open repository, the collaboration tools, so the tools that the, uh, the stakeholders and the uh, pro product owner and the engineers are all using to collaborate and discuss. Uh, this captures you know, the, the estimated story points associated with user stories. This captures the roadmap, which is a living document and will continue to change that replaces that static integrated master schedule. And it will... Uh, it'll be visible at any time. It can be changed uh, to agreed upon uh, discussions. And it should also have the results, the retrospectives, and the reviews of each iteration captured in there as well. So suddenly you have this living environment where everything is being captured in real time. This adds a lot more value. You're not looking at static documents. You're not even necessarily looking at a month in arrear. You're looking at what is the snapshot of the program as it exists today. Um, from a funding perspective, 
It depends if you do the fixed price or the TNM, and there are cases where even cost reimbursable might make sense. Uh, and so how those funds are tracked, you know, there's different reporting required. And if it's fixed price, it really doesn't matter because you're going to pay the same amount no matter what you get as long as you accept what's what's being delivered. So if under the fixed price per iteration model, you can sort of set aside the majority of the funding uh, the contract deliverables. Under the time and material, yeah, absolutely. You want to keep track of the number of hours that are delivered only because that's going to help you manage your budget and understand, you know, are you... Now, you could still be applying a time-boxed uh, methodology to it, in which case they should stay relatively static, the number of hours being burned. Um, but you might have fluctuations in the labor categories, and just for the sake of understanding and have more insight into the program, then you may want some reporting to understand you know, just the burn rate of each individual labor categories. That, that would be a worthwhile deliverable. Uh, as far as the deliverables worth keeping, you know, any deliverable that is around ensuring that there's not fraud, waste, and abuse is is absolutely worthwhile. So government furnished information or government furnished products or contractor acquired property, all of these need to be captured and maintained because at the end of the contract, people go away and you don't want to lose account of all the materials that the government has paid for because ultimately taxpayers have paid for those and that should all come back. Same thing with information. You don't want to lose the information. You want to make sure that that's maintained. Um, and so these are the sort of things you want to keep. Uh, security and personnel documentation, all of that should be captured and maintained in, uh, in a regular deliverable. So you're always on top of that, just in case at any point the contract goes away. So here we have now just a very neat package of contracting deliverables that will allow you to manage your program very effectively, burn down rates, you know, understand your trends of your program, but allow you to continuously develop without getting caught into this trap of paying the vendor to do the one thing the vendor doesn't want to do, which is just create a whole bunch of paperwork to give back to you. Um, you're paying the vendor to deliver the functional product, which is the whole purpose of it. So there you have it. Uh, that's my breakdown of contracting deliverable requirements list, what we should keep, what we shouldn't keep, uh, and what we should modify. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this video. If you are, please subscribe. If you have questions or comments, I'll get back to you if you leave them below. Uh, and until next week, cheers.